Hey everybody, welcome to another episode where we ask the question, hey. 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 Remember the ox? I'm Courtney. And I'm Thomas, and I'm here to break all the gender norms and have sex with patriarchy. Yes. It's a new thing I made up today. It's, it's a new... We have a lot of new goals for 2021, I think. Yeah, I'm doubling down on the witchy shit. Yeah. I'm committing to it. I'm going to try to not drink coffee, but that doesn't sound as exciting as witchy shit. Although, oh, I have committed and I've kept to it. I have 34 days, no, no alcohol. That's amazing. Yay. No I beer. I tried to follow that too. I know we talked about it and I did not succeed. It's okay. You don't, you're doing good. I don't really drink that much anyway. You don't. Yeah, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, you're good. But um, yeah, I'm trying to drink more tea. I don't want to buy coffee as much. I want coffee to be a treat. Okay. Yeah. And I'm taking my ginkgo again so I can focus better. Hell yeah. I'm but, on the... um. Yeah, so this is our podcast where we talk about everything from putting little clip-on beads into your hair to really pointy heels and the bootleg-cut jeans. Are they apple-bottom jeans with boots with the fur? I think that's too late. Like, that's that's way too late in the 2000s for this look. This was, like... Early 2000s, like 2002, 2003, mm. if you were on the red carpet, you would have, like, the the really low, like, loose, big, baggy jeans okay. and a really pointy heel just so that your foot can say, hello, I'm still under these jeans. Here I am. <laughs> Here <Help> I <laughs> am. I'm being drowned by denim. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and from the time that you made a fan page on MySpace for your favorite bands. Was that, a, did, did you do that? I, do you remember, I forgot. Did you do that? I didn't do that. Well, I kind of okay. did that. What happened was, I, I feel bad I forgot her name, but a friend that we all, we weren't super close with her. Um, okay. I think Joe and I took a class with her in high school, and we sat all together, and we used to joke around. She took herself very seriously. Okay. She was like a scene goth girl, like both, because, you know, when you're young, you, you don't distinguish. You just do. And right. she ran an Avenged Sevenfold fan page. Oh, boy. And a Pantera pan, fan page. And she oh didn't want to deal with the Pantera fan page anymore, so she gave it a me to run. And I used oh, to, no. and I used to make posts and be like, and use it. And she got mad. She goes, "You're doing it wrong." What? Yeah. And then she said, "Whatever. I'm gonna kill the Pantera fan page because this is all garbage. I want only to worry about the Avenged Sevenfold fan page." You were bequeathed the MySpace fan pages, and then she was disappointed in how you ran it. Yeah. She and then she killed it, and she just focused on. The Avenged Sevenfold fan page, which did a lot better. Uh, to be fair, okay. I think Avenged Sevenfold lends itself more to the MySpace era than Pantera did. Fair. Fair. I think yeah. Avenged Sevenfold was, like, very MySpace-y. Oh, 100%. I was going to say, how many actually decent, like, 
metalcore bands came about because of MySpace. I would say a Actually, few. Yeah, I would say Joe found a lot of his metal bands through MySpace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It was always a weird thing about MySpace. This What's is that? turned into a MySpace rant, but one of these days we'll have to do like a two-part, three-part. We'll have to do a whole mini series on MySpace because it was just a whole thing in itself. Yes. But um, when I was on MySpace, you would find the Final Fantasy fan pages, mm-hmm. which would be somebody pretending to be Cloud. But then their relationship was somebody running a Vincent Valentine fan page. Oh. Yeah, or Ares and Tifa. Like, these people would run these fan pages and then they'd add their, like, friends and loved ones as other fan pages. Or, I don't know, maybe it was just internet relationships. I don't know. But some people really invested in a Final Fantasy fan page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a there different a lot time. Of Yunas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I remember what 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 were they like what's interesting now is technically, technically speaking, we have significantly more access now to yes. digital media and music and everything like that. And maybe the and I try, I try to do what I used to do back in the MySpace days, but it's hard mm-hmm. for me to necessarily like just by accidentally discover bands as easily as I used to on MySpace. And I think it's because MySpace yeah. was so there wasn't as much of a sophisticated algorithm to literally just give you exactly what you want before you know you want it. Thank you. I was gonna say the same thing. Going on Spotify and trying to look for bands is not the same thing as going on MySpace and finding bands. Yeah, because you had to do the work. There was no algorithm predetermining what you like. So you right. would you would have to go onto your MySpace and just float around, and you found so many bands that way. And I think this is a great tie into our topic because that's how you found out about music festivals, concerts, or just local yes. events. Like this is really like we already did our scene episode, but like the larger, broad definition of scene. This is where it was built was the ability to create a online community for music and fandoms and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, you know what also I realized? What's this that? was a big thing that I wanted to say for this episode. Mm-hmm. While I was looking up the bands from previous festival lineups, suddenly something clicked in when I saw the name The Pink Spiders. Do you remember The Pink Spiders? No, what are the I got to look this up. What are The Pink Spiders? Okay. Okay, okay, look it up and tell me what you see. The Pink Spiders. I see very, very MySpace. Oh, my God. Yeah. This band, their biggest and I would say only hit, Little Razorblade, I feel like is the perfect example of the concert, festival, MySpace bridge between the emo kids the scene kids and the goth kids because it's brightly colored they're wearing a bunch of pink but they're also referring to a girl as a razor blade it's great and it's also terrible oh my god okay so i looked up and i started browsing the pictures i do love the the pink and black aesthetic that is pretty hot right. um, it's like pink black yeah. and some gold right 
Yeah, and there's a okay. show. Jeffree Star, the pink spiders at the creepy crawl. No! <laughs> yeah. Back when Jeffree Star was just a musician and people forgave him for his racism. Yep. What and a some other time. things, too. Oh, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, their whole thing was like pink, black, and gold. If you look at their vinyl, it's it's gold. It's like a yellow ochre color. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see that picture, too. Yeah. Oh what a God. time to be alive. It's a very different time. How many do you what do you remember any band specifically you discovered from MySpace? Oh, um, this was a big one. Porcelain and the dolls. Ooh, right? okay. I think that was her name. She's never really come back since the MySpace era. She had a couple of chances and it didn't work out. Oh, I'm sorry, Porcelain and the Tramps. That's what it was. Oh man, I she, yeah, I I had a bunch, but I can't remember. I remember for a while I was um, I was on that job for a cowboy ride that I was a fan of. Job for a cowboy ride. Yeah, they're like well, that that the band the name of the band is Job for a Cowboy. I was just saying I was on the okay. ride, listening. Oh okay. They're like, they're. They're death metal, but some people put them as, like, metalcore. I don't know. I just enjoyed the shit out of this band. What's the difference between metal band and metalcore? Um, Somebody listening is going to be very angry. I give my best answer. Really? It's really aesthetic. Well, there's there are technical things. Like, musically, um, death metal is much more about the... like. I think the general consensus, the thing is, what's funny is if you're not into this music, it's all the same. Like, it just yes. sounds like loud, aggressive nonsense. Yes. The real difference between what would say, like, death metal and metalcore is, like, metalcore is the middle ground between, like, hardcore, which is more punk-affiliated, much more about um, the breakdown, the punk attitude, more bare okay. bones, whereas... Death metal is much more technical. Um, it's more about the guitar instrumentation, the solos, the mm. and certain things cross over. So when you get metalcore, you'll get like blast beats, a solo, but then a breakdown. Um, you know, either grunting singing or a lot of times metalcore <laughs> has more of like the melodic singer. Like they'll have like the loud, oh, aggressive, okay. grunty singer, and then like the melodic singer come in. Uh, screaming rather than grunting. It's it's really aesthetic. It's all 100% aesthetic. Like, and people okay. are gonna get mad at me. People are gonna be like, "Oh, you're not a million. It's just like fuck off. It's it's all right. it's all silly nonsense. Just enjoy the shit. Okay, I have another comment that is probably gonna um, make those other people who were angry before the statement like be annoyed when they hear it and probably turn it off once they hear my statement i thought scene core and metal core were very much the same thing they are <laughs> okay okay <laughs> like okay some people will get mad it's really a like the thing is metal core Five i would people say have shut off this podcast episode now <laughs> metal core is like a is the genre but scene core is literally just okay where the aesthetic is more seen but they're essentially doing the same thing okay thank you because that's what I, I thought was the case. I genuinely thought that scenecore, I could listen to scenecore and hear like, blah, 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 and just assume that that was metalcore. That is my metalcore band. 
uh, hit single, blah, blah, blah. If you like it, um, download my SoundCloud album. <laughs> Only on SoundCloud. Yeah, but like, and what's you're gonna what we're gonna notice in today's episode? These bands, the the reason why there's confusion and stuff, because they ultimately did end up playing a lot together. Like a lot of these right. bands played the same festivals. It, right. You know, elitists would get mad. Both, you know, you got hardcore elitists who were like, "Oh, these bands aren't hardcore," and then you get the metal elitists like, "Oh, these bands aren't metal." And there's like a shit ton. Of, like I I hated that I was even a part of this. I posted some of these awful, cringy memes of like. That's not real metal. Real metal is is masculine and manly, and you're just whining. It's like, shut up. Shut up. It's funny, too, because I think that back then, we were so much more serious about the separation of genres. And I feel like as we've gotten older, and maybe this is part of Spotify, is that there's more merging and now we're in a state where we're asking more of our pop stars to go into their other influences. So I think that's why like you hear more folk or rock in pop music than you do in the actual folk and rock scene. And, you know, I think with MySpace, part of it was these bands had these very separate pages and then their top eights were the people that they hung out with, they were the same bands on the label, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's why, like, the whole system was set up for us to separate the genres. But then you'd collide them all together at the festivals. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. never forget one of the weirdest combination of bands. Because it was literally, like, if you're on the same mm-hmm. record, that record threw you on tour. And sometimes it just were bands that don't make necessarily sense to put together. Like, mm-hmm. Amur is a metalcore band. Mm-hmm. Amur is very, like, by definition, they're a metalcore band. Their aesthetic is very much that of, like, think Dave Catalano. Okay. You know, the tattooed, the sweaters, you know, the, there's just the very, you know, the baseball tee, the baseball hat, you know, just think Dave. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of like, Dave would probably get mad at me for saying that, but he has a metalcore look. Like a more hardcore look. He he's definitely more on the hardcore look than like this than like the emo look. But you I know, love when somebody told me they thought he looked like a Guido. Well, because he like, is he is an Italian boy. We can't. He's an about Italian that. boy. <laughs> he is an Italian boy, but he is he is far from a Guido. This festival featured a mm-hmm. Muir. A metalcore band and Devil Driver, a not metalcore band. Devil Driver is like. Just a, like more like they're a straight more traditional metal band, but people mm-hmm. might know them because the front man, um, what's the front man's name? The front man used to be the front man for Coal Chamber, the me- new metal band from the Ots. So that's a very different scene. And here okay. I am at this show with like a bunch of hardcore kids and like old school metalheads who are okay. just not getting along 
but it was still a fun show. I had a fun time. Amir wasn't bad. I wasn't into them back then, but it was, it was fine. You're saying all of these band names, and I'm sure that there are people listening who are like, oh, Tom, I totally see you and get what you're talking about. And I'm just like, oh, sure, those well, bands don't th- go together. <laughs> this is your time to tell your story. My my favorite situation um, when it comes to festivals and it comes to colliding music is that the first time I went to Bamboozle in 2006, the Jonas Brothers were there. And at that time, they were on the littlest stage. They were children. They didn't even have a deal with Disney yet. You know, there was really this belief that, like, who are these kids? They're a bunch of posers. They're never going to make it. But then also, it's the same show where um, Taking Back Sunday was the head on Sunday. They were the headliners on that Sunday. And... There was such a range at Bamboozle. Um, but that's the thing I always remember. I cannot find my Bamboozle hoodie that says it was Jonas Brothers on that list. I think that it got so old that it was just, like, eviscerated. But, um, yeah, so I, I could have had the opportunity to see Jonas Brothers. That's fascinating. Holy when they hell. were wee ones. Yeah. Little wee ones. Little wee ones. Um. Uh. But that was the thing about going to concerts and going to festivals in the 2000s was it was this sort of hodgepodge of different bands. And there was such an intimate experience, I think, for people to seeing these bands because you could interact with them. These festivals weren't meant for these like big Madison Square Garden sold out concerts. They were meant for these little interactions between you and the band on stage because the stage is so small or there's 20 other stages behind that one it was pretty cool oh no it was it was awesome i'll never forget like what's crazy is that these festivals would have all these young bands all these cool bands who would have their own like following from myspace but then like headlined by like an og or an original act and it's like you're, the, for the price of what you're paying, like what we talked before the episode, like $65 to go to all day for Warp Tour. Right. Exactly. And like, you'd get everything. Yeah, you'd get everything. Like, I'll, I went, the, I only went, and this is my admission, I only went to Warp Tour and Bamboozle the same year in 2010. And at Warp Tour, I got to see, for that cost, I got to see, um, who did the song Tell Me That You're All Right? That one. Um, oh, Motion City Soundtrack. Motion City Soundtrack. I saw Motion Tell City me Soundtrack. That you're all right. Yeah. I got Everything to see. All right. I got to see. I saw um, them too. <laughs> I got to see them, some hardcore act. I forgot their name. So let's see, some forty-one, the casualties, and we met the guitarist of the casualties. And I will share that picture with you later. Actually, I'll just throw it in the Discord right now. But it's oh, like very cool. all of that for the price of sixty-five dollars. Right. So I went to Warp Tour in two thousand and six, and that was their twenty-fifth anniversary. And you would think for the twenty-fifth anniversary that they would have some really, really good bands, and I don't think 
we saw much of anybody. Also, no. the way that Bamboozle was set up felt so much more efficient than Warp Tour. I feel like for Bamboozle, the setup was very clear, and you would know exactly where all the stations were. You knew which bands were going to show up at what time. Oh, yep, there it is. I remember this picture. Yeah. And then there was that random chick who joined you guys. Yeah, that was just, that's what happened. She just joined for the picture, and I was like, do you want me to email you a picture? She goes, no. I feel like that was also a big thing back then. Once taking pictures from MySpace became a thing that people did all the time, it was more likely that somebody would try to bomb a photo. Oh, yeah. I was one of those guys. I always always try to bomb photos. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like there was, like, that sort of intimacy in the concerts of, like, Warp Tour and the Bamboozle era and MySpace because you could message a band and you probably got a message back from a band member themselves. Oh, I've had yeah. a couple of interactions with bands in the aughts where they genuinely responded back to me and they were very kind and very lovely people. That's awesome. Like, I can't even, like, I never thought to do that. But I sure. Oh, really? I yeah. did it a couple of times. I'll never forget, like, for a while, because I was a big fan back in the day of Rob Zombie. Yes, we have to talk about this. And he was very active on his MySpace page. And this was around the time he was making his his first Halloween remake. And literally, I would follow, like, literally, it was a very personal interaction where he would post notes. He would talk every day. Literally, he would do like a daily post and like you can tell it was him. That's when I realized he was vegan. He pushed his vegan, mm. um, not pushed it in a bad way, but it was very enlightening to watch him post his, you know, his beliefs and just what he was doing. The tours. That also seems, also seems very early on for the vegan movement. Like I know yeah. the vegan lifestyle has lived forever, but at that point when he was doing that, it wasn't the trend yet. No. Yeah. And then um that's when like that's how I would find out the tours. Like um mm, like mm-hmm. that's when I found out about the tour in two thousand seven with Ozzy Osbourne. It was December twenty second, two thousand seven. He op- it was Madison Square Garden. Do we want to talk about it now? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just kinda yeah. got into it. No, no, I was gonna actually mention it when we were talking about metal because to me, when you're talking about like death metal or metal core I wouldn't be able to tell different bands apart from like Rob Zombie and Ozzy Osbourne in metal. Yeah. To me, like those are just as metal as any other band. I, I can't think of them. Um, People would probably there. I would say that they are different, but they're more in. They're more similar to play together than mm-hmm. let's say like Rob Zombie and Barrier Dead. Barrier Dead is like a metalcore band. You could just make up metal bands. And say, like, oh, didn't you hear of um, Death Metal Slay Rider? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, totally, sure. That's Death very Metal much... Death Metal Slay Rider. <laughs> <sighs> but, um... We're just going to start making up metal bands on this that's, podcast. That, I'm down with that. There is a... Okay. I will say, metalcore bands tend to have more... Like, um, like the, think of, like, the names, like, Amur, Barrier Dead... Okay. Job for a cow- well, job for cowboys and death metal band. Sorry, um, even something that is like I don't know if people get mad at me for saying this, but like something like As I Lay Dying, that's like a metalcore band. Death metal tends to be much more like 
disgusting. Like okay. can- Cannibal Corpse or oh, okay. <laughs> shit I, like that. I know them. Yeah. Death Metal is much more like 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 Death Metal's more of like the horror movie fan of the mm-hmm. genre. Mm-hmm. Like let me just type in because I know a couple off the top of my head, but I'm trying to look for the grossest one. Death metal band names. Because I think um, that that's part of why I ended up liking Rob Zombie. So let's get into like how we ended up going to this show. So you found yes. the tour on MySpace. Yes, I did. And how how did you decide that you were going to go to this? Did you talk to Joe about it? Like, how did you plan your trip to go see Rob Zombie and Ozzy Osbourne. I, I was just super fucking excited because I had never gone to a concert before. And I saw, like I said, I checked Rob Zombie's MySpace every day because he was, it was very personal, like very, it's, it's something I don't think I've ever experienced since maybe like following a, like a YouTuber or celebrity on Twitter. But like at the time, this felt much more personal. And it was like, he posted the picture of the tour dates and I was like Madison Square Garden in December. And I was like, I can do this. And I was just like, mom, dad, can my Christmas present just be I got to see this concert? And they were nice. still nervous about it because I was like, what, maybe 16? Right. Yeah, we were 16 at the time. They were still very nervous. They're like, yeah, you can go, but your dad's got to go with you. Okay. And that was like that's the, what I thought. I knew you went with some adult. Yeah, that was the last time my dad went with me to a concert. I remember being sort of embarrassed, but I was like, I just really want to go. Maybe so, that was the moment where he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm never yeah, taking, that's what taking my child to a concert. He's like, again. I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah. But um, I remember I I was like, I don't know anyone who'd want to go, and I was just mm. asking around. I think because we had chemistry together. Yes, we all and had I, chemistry together. And I had just asked Joe, I'm like, do you want to go? And I think he said he, I think he was down, but he wasn't sure. And then like, I was like, I got the tickets. Let's go. Sometimes for Joe, you have to do the thing first and just say you got the tickets. I was just so excited. And then that was such an experience. Oh my God. That was also, I think it was better for a younger kid. That was me to go to like a sitting. Cause it was Madison Square Garden. There's mm-hmm. no pit. I mean, there is a pit, but that pit's like, five hundred dollars so we're not doing that we had decent right it was a little further away yeah decent seats we got to watch the show it was a really fun time i remember just being it's he's a very fun performer like i'll give him that yeah i would say that his ability to like connect cinematically with his music makes it very interesting yes he's truly like a performer i would say an Mm -hmm. entertainer above all because you have some musicians who are like musicians and like their craft is the music and the music is incredible and technical but seeing them live isn't always amazing because they're not about the performance right some bands some bands and some artists can do both and some bands are better live than they are recorded oh absolutely yeah rob zombie his music is i think it has not, it's not one of those musics that like has aged with me as well as others. Like I don't listen right. to Rob Zombie all the time, but I will put on a song and be like, yeah, man, this was a jam. Like he's got There's some decent hits. To it. Yeah. yeah. It's got some run fun, like living dead girl is definitely a banger or I even love, um, Dragula. That's a fun song. That's such a goofy, fun song. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's perfect for resident evil eight. 
Uh, lady, I, I've, she's beautiful, side note. Oh my god, I'm so excited for Resident Evil 8. I told Joe he has to get it so I could watch him play it, but I don't want to play it. Her name is Lady Demistris. Dem, uh, Demestris- Dem- oh, oh. <laughs> we're going to struggle through this. Let me, uh, Lady Demestru. Demestru. And she is officially Capcom confirmed. I guess they just said, fuck it, we're going to go for the ride. They tweeted out, they're like, just so everyone knows, she's nine foot two inches. Demetrescu? Demetrescu, there it is. What a beautiful woman. She could step on me any day. She is going to, she's a, like, I love, I do, like, as much as, like, there's jokes and everyone's talking about how hot she is, I still think there is a lot of potential for the fact that. We have a very powerful female antagonist. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot to be said about that. Like, she's taking on this very traditionally masculine role. But also, there's such a civility to her. She's a lady. She's a lady. She has a title. And she's she's definitely a vampire. She can step on me all she wants. <laughs> I'm totally here for it. I know we went into an aside, but I'm totally here for Resident Evil 8. Um, In the same vein that although I was terrified of Resident Evil 4, I would get excited for it. This one, I'm pumped for it. And Lady Dimitrescu is definitely a part of that. What a phenomenal woman. Yeah. (sighs) But, um, so I feel like Dracula fits it very much so. Um... My introduction to uh, Rob Zombie was that concert. I was invited by someone, and I just said yes because I just decided to go on a limb and try it, and I was just like, well, all right. I mean, how many times do you get to say you went to an Ozzy Osbourne concert? And I didn't really know much about Rob Zombie at the time. Although I loved being a bigger fan of Rob Zombie than Ozzy Osbourne. I don't actually remember the Ozzy Osbourne set that much. I don't either. Like, he's a legend in his own right. And it's like he's, you know, an icon of just music in general, not just metal or rock. But like the He's an icon. Yeah, he's an icon. So it's like, yeah, I get to say I saw Ozzy Osbourne, but the memories aren't so much about him. The only thing I truly remember is that somebody threw a gigantic bag of weed onto the stage for Ozzy. That's awesome. That's all I remember. And at the time, I didn't know it was a bag of weed because I just didn't know back then. I just saw somebody throw, like, a bag. And then it had to be explained to me later that that was a bag of weed. Oh, that's awesome. But, um, I, I choose to remember that very fondly because, and you and I were talking about this beforehand, so you went to the show with the person who would eventually be my partner, mm-hmm. is that I went with somebody else, and he told me much later on that part of the reason that he was excited to go was because he knew I'd be there. That's adorable. I love it. It was, um, I would say at the time I thought that that was the norm, but I learned that is abnormal. That was very loud. But it's also, it's Madison Square Garden. And I have been to a bunch, like, when we get into the episode, I'll talk about some of the other concerts I've been to. This was, like, the first concert, but, like, 
typically most of the concerts I went to, if they're not fest, even when they're festivals, it's it's a stage, right? Whatever room you have is the crowd, and then that's it. And the sound is, you know, it's loud, but it's like there's a difference between like seeing a gig or seeing a festival and then going to an arena. Like when you go to an mm-hmm. arena, it's a whole different like. Like right. what was like I've been to Nassau Coliseum was like that. Um the Meadowlands, um, even the Amway Center in Florida when I've seen mm-hmm. a show there before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you and I been to the same concert since then? No, we've never gone to another concert together. No, I don't yeah, we haven't. We almost did. We almost went to see some forty one together. That's right. And then I found out that my parents planned a trip to go to Rochester and see family then. And at the ah, time, okay. I was so like, Mom, Dad, how can you do this to me? Uh, and now as a grown-up, I'm totally fine with it. I had some very valuable time with family members. That's fair. And that, trust me. And yeah. trust me, it, it's... That show. I had fun, <laughs> but it became, again, it became another dramatic thing. Right. I think that's what a lot of those concerts ended up being is there's half of it that is like you want to go see this band and maybe you had an intimate experience communicating with them or you see them right there. Um, but there was also the other half of it that was like, where did Stacy go? I don't know. Do you know where Stacy is? Uh, oh my God, she's throwing up in the bathroom. When did that happen? I don't know. Oh my gosh, now we lost Claire. Yeah. Where did Claire go? That last Sum 41 show, because I've seen them, I think I've seen them more than any other band because like our group of friends, it was just like the mutual band we all loved. So we would see them right. a lot. My transition was like, all right, so we, we talked a lot about that, but that was the last time and that was 2007. And since yes. then I had this explosion after that. Yes. After that, for like years, I just became obsessed with going to concerts and a lot of them were smaller stage concerts. Like mm-hmm. I would go to like, like I said, Terminal 5, Hammerstein Ballroom, Roseland Ballroom. Um, did you ever go to Irving Plaza? Yes, I did go to Irving Plaza. I loved Irving Plaza when we were in high school. That was my favorite place to go see Stray Light Run when we were in high school. Stray Light Run was my favorite band in high school because they were a local Long Island band, hence the intimacy. And also when... Michelle DeRosa was leaving the band, I messaged them on MySpace. And I was like, what does this mean for Straylight Run? Are you all going to break up? Or would you consider touring with Michelle in the future? And the drummer, Will Noon, actually got back to me. And he was very nice. Really? Yeah. He was like, we're very happy for Michelle. Um, That's a really good idea. We haven't thought about touring just yet. But no, we're not going to break up. Don't worry. Aw, that's super sweet. They just ended up making another EP after that, and then they ended up stopping mu- making music anyways. But no. I think that was more about the overall shift from the music that we were listening to to what would eventually become the festival scene a few years later. Oh, yeah. like But uh... Irving Plaza was my favorite place to go. I loved Irving Plaza, and now I would say it's Terminal 5. I went to a few concerts downtown. I forgot mm-hmm. if it's um it was it was not it was it was like in the village. I forgot exactly the name of the concert, but it was to see Agnostic Front and this was 2009. 
okay. Agnostic Front, they're a, like a New York hardcore band. Like that's their gimmick. That's again, picture Dave. That's 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 the kind of thing Agnostic Front brings. Uh huh. Um, I definitely still dip vibe with Agnostic Front. It's a bit of thrash and a little bit of hardcore. It's a nice mix. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely a different scene because, like I said, we had been talking about festivals and stuff like that. Agnostic Front's like a, a 90s hardcore band. It definitely okay. brings a different kind of crowd. Okay. I think... Um, much once angrier I, German men. Once I left high school and started seeing bands that were just, like, more for, like, fun dancing music, and I realized I don't have to get the shit kicked out of me at a show... I was like, oh, this is so much better. You know what's interesting is I have the opposite reaction. Okay. <laughs> I actually prefer, because you know what it is, when I was in high school mm-hmm. and I went to these shows, I was like 125 pounds of nothing. And I was like scrawny, long, goofy hair. And it was mm-hmm. like, I would try to throw into the mosh and it just would not work out. But as I got older and fatter and stronger, <laughs> the last show I went to was a monomart, literally right before the pandemic. And it was with Joe. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Let's see a, a Monomarth, who I'd seen in the aughts as well. Right. Uh, death metal band from Sweden. Love them. Fantastic Viking men. I think that um, was another scenario where um, you or somebody else just purchased the tickets for him, and then the choice was made. I think Gonzo just, per- Gonzo just purchased yes. the tickets for him. Yeah. Gonzo p- purchased the tickets and was just like, you're coming to this, and that's yeah. how you get Joe to a concert. And... I like ran into the pit and I just had the best time because when you're a hundred and nine, like 88 to 90 pounds, <laughs> you, you, the punches don't hurt as bad. <laughs> okay. I've just, all I can think of when I think of like getting into a pit and not me choosing to get into the pit, but just unfortunately being in a location where something is going to happen to you. I just only think of like bruises and pain. Um, this isn't specifically in the 2000s, like the aughts, but I remember a band that I really didn't have time or interest in during the aughts, Streetlight Manifesto, when I went to go see them in concert, I think that was 2011. Okay. Somebody was, I was in the front, I was with Eric, um, evil Eric, who's not evil, but- No, he's not. we, We just call him that. Um, I also refer to him as his full name sometimes when I'm angry at him, but I cannot say that out loud. And, um, we we went to go see Streetlight Manifesto and somebody was crowd surfing and I had no idea they were coming up behind me. So somebody's, somebody, the back of their head knocked right into the back of my head and it was just an immediate response in my body to fall down. Yikes. Like, it was just one of those situations where, like, head, bang, body just collapses. And I remember Eric picking me up, and he's like, oh, my God, are you okay? And I was just like, I think I'm fine. Like, the, the fact that I immediately came to and yeah. was fine, I was just like, okay, we can keep going. But now as a much older adult, I'm like, you should have just gotten home after that. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe. So I'm much happier now at concerts where um, something like that will not happen. I miss concerts like that. I need to go back. I no. Need to go. I need to. But in the... So my history 
in the aughts because then I started going to I went to see what 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 else did I do? I the next show after that was Death Clock, which Joe wasn't there for that. Okay. But it was Death Clock and and Mastodon. That was a fun fucking show. That was at what used to be the Nokia Theater. Oh, remember when it was the Nokia Theater? Then it was the PlayStation Theater, and I think it's something else now. I think the PlayStation Theater was where I saw Streetlight Manifesto, but then it became the Best Buy Theater. I think actually, apparently, it's um, it. I have the history here. It was Nokia Theater, then the Best Buy Theater, and I think it's currently the PlayStation Theater. Wait, wasn't the Nokia Theater the Jones Beach Theater though? No, that but they have they own it. Or they did, but they this did. is in Man- this is in Manhattan Times Square. Oh, um, okay, okay. The so they owned of... a couple of properties. Okay. Yeah, it was originally it was weird when the yeah. Jones Beach Theater became the Nokia Theater. Oh, it closed. Oh, it did. Yeah, but it the last Aww. the last it was the last thing it was was the PlayStation Theater. It went from Nokia to Best Buy to PlayStation okay. until 2019. Okay, so that's another thing, too, with these archives. Um, I did some digging on the archives, too, because I, I couldn't remember the name of the Irving Plaza. And you start to see some things don't match up. So, like, I saw with the Straight Light Run archives, it said Nokia Theater, and then it said PlayStation Theater. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing that they meant Nokia Theater James Jones Beach... And then they played at the PlayStation Theater. Maybe, yeah. But even then, I'm guessing it wasn't called the PlayStation Theater then. Probably and not. And it just happens to be called that in its most now, recent yeah. purchase. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's the weird archives. But I saw a Death Clock, the fictional metal band from the show Metalocalypse. How was that? That was phenomenal. They are fun. I still hold up their albums are pretty fucking good. Like they're clean, like I would say they're death metal, but cleaner. How? Like there's much more technicality into the instrumental, and it's okay. you've got some big names that show up for that. that so show, that's what but I that's wanted another... to ask you is like we've both been to a cartoon concert. Yes, you went to the better. I mean, not the better. I mean, I like both a lot, but I would say technically you went to the superior one. I think I went to the the cartoon concert where the cartoon band has outlived pop culture a lot longer than death clock did yeah death clock was very much a 2000s thing and it's since died right and i think gorillas had been around for so long as a cartoon band and only had just developed a tv show for amazon which at this point uh, they're already a fixture that i don't think anybody really cares about watching the cartoon show well it wasn't his thing he was always looking to make some sort of lore or world around these band, like this fictional band. Totally, yeah. And if you listen to the albums, they all clearly have a sort of linear atmosphere. So in Demon Days, it is sort of this like haunting, desolate apartment studio space that they live at. But then also in the Plastic Beach, it has its own story, too. Um, And Plastic Beach is actually resonating with me in a way that I never planned on. Because Mm. 
plastic beach is a criticism of plastic entering our environment and now we have proof that these microplastics are coming up. So it's interlacing with reality in a way that I'm not entirely ready to process. That's fair. Yeah, but so so we both went to cartoon concerts. I'm just curious how you seen Death Clock handled the fact that it was a cartoon band. Because at the point that I had seen gorillas, they were past the phase of trying these like experimental ways to hide that they aren't actually cartoons. They had already sort of outed themselves and were ready to play in person again. The way they did it was the band would play on the stage and you could see the band. Like we okay. know, and I think there was also, cause like the lore is we know who Brendan Smalls is. Brendan Smalls was the showrunner of Metalocalypse. But oh, also Brendan the Smalls was the runner of yeah, Metalocalypse? Yeah, because you might remember him from um, That home blows movies. my mind. I love yeah. home movies. And then Lauren, Ber- Lauren Bouchard has gone on to do so many shows that I've loved. Yeah, he did home movies because he was always both a movie guy and a music guy. He actually went to, I think, a, I forgot the school. He, he, he had like a degree in music theory. I love just, home movies. Yeah. Home movies holds like a special soft spot in my heart. And especially for like what they've done since then. Yeah. That's amazing. So his follow-up to home movies was Metalocalypse. And it's it um the event the unfortunate death of the show and the band is really Adult Swim not you know, it's cause the show was successful and like it was pretty popular. But mm-hmm. I think its peak was probably it started the peak in the early 2010s. And Adult Swim, I would compliment them this. They've always done fantastic things for music. They mm-hmm. always had like really cool festivals. They've always had cool like mashups. And they've always, I mean, they they did work with MF Doom, you know, rest in peace. They, they've done a lot of cool shit. But I think like at the time, in, you know, there was this, I think the shift away from death metal became more apparent as that was no longer like selling so they kind of just unplugged the show mm-hmm. they unplugged the show and there was a parent i think there was a feud i think brendan smalls has issue with the way adult swim handled it because i think that technic- there are a lot of issues about how adult swim has handled things over the years yeah starting to come about yeah oh yeah so it's like there's always these floating rumors of will death clock come back will adult you know Mm -hmm. will will metalocalypse come back and to be honest it only worked like i became a huge fan of the show because again somebody posted all the episodes on myspace and then the band had a myspace and i could listen to the music on myspace i distinctly remember when you kept mentioning metal myspace pages i for some reason death clock kept coming to mind that was the metal myspace page i kept envisioning so it was like very much ingrained part of my, my psyche at the time of like mm-hmm. my music development and going to festivals and shows. Um, and then, but yeah, it's just, it's a shame, but we, that's a whole episode on its own, Metalocalypse. That's a whole, or Adult Swim even. I had no idea. We'll definitely have to cover Adult Swim, um, including like its original content and the animes that it adapted because... The animes that it adapted into its program are a big part of my artistic inspiration and, like, the shows that I grew up loving. But, yeah, Brendan Small and Lauren Bouchard, like, they've made so many animated shows 
since home movies. And um, it, it's really interesting to see how their careers have developed. Yeah. I didn't know that about Death Clock. Yeah, he was not only the showrunner, but he played the instruments. He pretty much wrote the music for the band and voiced um, the front man. What was his name? Um, fuck. Is that the one who's supposed to be Peter Steele? It, it's the guy who essentially looks like Peter Steele. Okay. The big, the big guy. His name was Nathan Explosion. Okay, guys, Nathan's here with the girl. So remember, let's just help him out. Just help him get through this, all right? Oh, uh, hey, guys, this is um, Rachel. Uh, we're, we're just going to hang out. I was going to show her stuff uh, in my room. Oh, well, that's interesting, Rachel. And Pickles. Sorry that Nathan is so rude. Hello. Hi. Oh, my God, you have got soft hands. Nathan oh. <laughs> Explosion. Yeah, yeah, Brendan Small's voice, Nathan Explosion. I remember Malcolm McDowell also played a big villain in that oh, show. Oh, yeah, he he played um, Mark Mark Hamill, Malcolm McDowell. They were both routine, like, appearances on the show. Good for them. That's amazing. And then, like, a bunch of rock legends had shown up in the show. Um, I know that James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich showed up. Nice. A bunch of metal figures. Um, the, front, the front person for um, Arch, Arch Enemy showed up. Mm-hmm. It, there was a bunch of people who showed up. It was it was a fun show. Like it was one of those rare times where you didn't have to like the scene or the music to be in, a fan of the band. It was just funny. The show was just funny. The show was very funny. I didn't watch it then because like once again like metal just wasn't an avenue I was interested in, so I didn't think that I would care for the show. Like it just wasn't on my radar. But we've gone back and watched it since like in this house and it is really (laughs) funny it's actually interesting watching it now that i hadn't seen it back then because it's almost like it still adds to this familiarity of a different time from when we were younger yeah Yeah. what were what concerts were you going to around this time because i i have a bunch but i wanted (laughs) which one Australia light run um that was the big thing for me at the time. I loved seeing them. And I'm trying to think of, um, I definitely saw the Pink Spiders a couple of times and they would always play Little Razor Blade. They actually like completely left my existence until I saw that lineup again. Um, But I'm trying to think who else was a big band that I saw. Well, I've mentioned Cobra Starship before. We saw Cobra Starship. On multiple occasions. It's funny how the band that you see the most growing up isn't necessarily your favorite band. Fair, yeah. Because that's the thing that's confusing me with the Straylight Run archives. And I think this is where we trust in the internet to give us factual information when it doesn't match up with the things that we've actually lived because when I look at the Straylight Run archives, it says that they were at Bamboozle in 2008. And I was there at Bamboozle 2008, and Straylight Run were not there. And if they were there, maybe at that point we were like, well, we've already seen them a couple of times. There's no reason to see them, like, again, when we could see another band. Um, even at this Bamboozle festival, um, Motion City Soundtrack were there again and we were also kind of like we've already seen Motion City Soundtrack let's go find another band um, one of my favorite 
like smaller bands that we went to go see was a band named Inner Party System. Oh, I've never heard of them. Okay, you should check them out. It's very much of the like aughts indie scene, but in a way they were very much prepared for the further stretch into electronic music. So they're a little oh, bit okay. EDM, a little bit industrial, but mostly in the emo indie scene. And this was a band that at the time um, Alyssa and her cousins didn't even know about. They were like, okay, Courtney says she wants to see this band. Let's go see them. But they were on one of the smallest stages and they lit up everything. And it seemed like this really great way to tackle like, okay, we're not the biggest band. We're not on the biggest stage, but let's put on the biggest, brightest show. That's awesome. Yeah. Make, and make, a scene, we, make an image. Exactly. They made a scene and they were so much fun. And actually, like, I got Alyssa's family into them because they weren't planning on liking them and they had a really good time. And then years later, um, on Joe's Funky Fresh Beats playlist on Spotify, <laughs> where he has all of his, like, EDM music or all his, like, fast-paced dance music, um... I ended up finding that he put an inner party system song on there. And I was like, I introduced you to this band years ago. And he's like, no, you didn't. I was like, yes, I did. Uh, and he couldn't remember it at all. So that was a lot awesome. of fun. I think that that what was, that's what was so fun about those concerts back then is that there was more accessibility to these smaller shows and these smaller artists. And it felt like you got to have this very personal experience with it. I feel like also part of concert culture in the aughts is like you have the friends that you're definitely set on going to the concert with and then you have that extra ticket friend. Yeah. That friend that you actually didn't hang out with that much in school or maybe you had a couple of classes together and you're just like, hey, let's just, uh, let's invite Joni over there. Oh, Let's boy. just bring Joni. Uh, and then it either I... goes great or it goes terribly south. I had... There was a tour, and this was this is an interesting part of our high school experience. For our prom, I remember you went with. Did you did you do the whole after thing? With, I did. With the, how did that go? Because for short context, I was in the same group of friends as you, and I was supposed yes. to go with you guys. I was saving money to join you guys, but uh, my friend at the time, at the time. Yes. I'd asked my cousin Steve to be her date, but she could not afford to do the after prom thing. So I volunteered all the money I'd saved up for the after prom for me and Kara. Mm -hmm. I said, fuck it. Would you guys be cool if I use this money and bought all of us tickets to see this? Uh, it was called the Full Wrath Tour. Escape the plague. The wait is finally over. Lamb of God. The Wrath Mm -hmm. and it was lamb of god as i lay dying children of bodom god forbid municipal waste there's a so, band called municipal waste yeah they're like a neo thrash metal band they're okay they're not great okay okay they're like that sounds about thra right thrash metal was the main <laughs> like there was hair metal and thrash metal in the in the 80s thrash mm -hmm. metal being like like your Metallicas, your Anthraxes, your Megadeth, your Slayers, your, you know, bands along that, like Exodus. Um, Neo Thrash is kind of like 
kids now trying to do that, and that's municipal waste. Okay. Pretty much, a thrash metal band is if you take a gross thing and name it, like like toilet plunger or something like that. Okay. That, that would be that'd be a great thrash metal band name. Spiked. Um, I have toilet the plunger. Warp Tour uh, lineup in the background of my audacity sorry to interrupt you but uh one name just popped out to me which i think actually very much fits the genre that you're describing i know nothing about what kind of music this band makes but i just looked up and saw a band named plague vendor yeah yeah that sounds about right yeah and this show was may 8th 2009 at the roseland ballroom oh okay so instead of doing the after prom I paid for all of our friends, well, not our friends, all the four of us to go to this concert. Yeah. And I had a great time. But again, this was another one of those weird things where, like, Lama, I guess Lama God and As I Lay Dying do kind of fit together, even though Lama God is more metal, As I Lay Dying might fit in that metal core. Okay. But then Children of Bodom, you know, great band, rest in peace, Alexi Leo. But they like they don't necessarily like it's just a weird and also he broke his collarbone that show Ooh. so he literally only played three. Oh. God bless him. He tried playing. He played three songs. Oh, then I, said, like I had to just like make sure my collarbones were intact when yeah. he said that because there's something about hearing like a collarbone break that I just imagine it punctures the skin. It doesn't always do that, but I just yeah. picture it does. And he said fuck that, and he left the stage. He was in too much pain. Fair. Fair. Yeah, but that was totally that was such a cool show. I saw some fucked up things happen that day, though. <laughs> so, um, for for my for prom for me, I didn't want to go. Prom was not the plan for me. I just didn't want to do nothing on that night when other possible plans fell through, and um, our friend needed a date as well. So I was just like, I'll go with you. I feel comfortable going with you. And I don't remember the after prom costing anything, but maybe that was already rolled into the price of being on the limo. Maybe that's it why was. it was so expensive. It, 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 okay. It was it was rolled in. Okay. So because I had joined very last minute that I was gonna go to prom, um, this person that I went with, um, another Eric, he he paid for that. Which was oh, very okay. sweet. Um, my parents were willing to put that in if they had to, but they were really kind of grinding their teeth about it. They were very nervous. Um, also, my prom dress paid thir- cost $30, and I didn't need to get it taken in at all or altered or anything. You so, look stunning. <laughs> thank you. I had so much anxiety that night. <laughs> prom is a very nerve-wracking thing when you are a teenager who doesn't like to dress up nicely or doesn't wear makeup, because then you feel like if you wear makeup, then it's like, oh, who are you kidding? You look ridiculous with makeup on. Or the alternative is you put on the makeup and you're like, wow, you're so not ugly now that you have makeup on. Aww. It's a horrible, um, it's a horrible double-edged sword. And, uh, yeah. You know, that's not, like, me wanting to hear, like, I'm so pretty, I'm so pretty. It's just, like, that was the sort of self-esteem that I was wrestling with back then. So I was very nervous about prom, yeah. But um, I remember, so we finished prom, we get on the bus, we get on the limo, we didn't have a bus. 
we we had the limo we go into the city for the comedy show we were very late but it was a really good time i thought considering that like we weren't you know going drinking or going to a quote-unquote prom house afterwards i felt like a comedy show was a really good option and it was a well, lot also, of fun yeah what you know what's funny is I don't I don't the, at the time you don't think about it right but as an adult who's commuted and driven and has actually like it, you know <laughs> driven around right the island and this country I realized just how insane that trip was because our prom hall was all the way out in like, Smithtown <laughs> I know at the time I don't go- think anybody really understood like what that meant no and then you went from Smithtown to Manhattan. Yes. That's like two hours. I gotta tell you, though, we, we talked so much on the limo that it didn't feel like two hours. That's The good. only thing that I felt a little ticked off about was because, like, I was so uncomfortable being dressed up because I had this difficult issue with my self-worth. I really wanted to change. Uh, and there was no time for us to go to Sam's house and change. Aw, so that was the I, thing um, I really wanted. I really wanted to get out of that dress. Because yeah. for us, we rolled up to prom in yeah. Steve's minivan. Yeah. It was the best. I, I love think... it. I love that I rolled up in a minivan. Yes. And as soon as prom was over, we took off our clothes and changed into our t-shirts. And we literally got Wendy's and hung out at, like, the beach in Glen Cove. Honestly, I think that that was a good choice. Like, I think that I'm glad that I did what I did because Alyssa and Lauren were there and they really wanted me to be a part of it. But I think that your plans align more with what I would have wanted and would have what would have made me feel better then. But I think also, I think we should just stop convincing teenagers that they need to go to prom in limos. Yeah, I think yeah. also the idea of after prom needs, like, I, I think i genuinely enjoyed and had a good time at the prom and i think it was a nice send-off to what every how everything was and who we were but like the after prom literally like i guess i I literally just went in a minivan and it was just as fine like going to the show like i remember because i did the i had to do the prom thing all over again the following year yes you did yes and that was um, i felt genuinely bad i felt genuinely bad because we weren't well not me, more so my my first girlfriend was not invited to the after prom. Mm. And I felt really, really, really bad for her. And like mm-hmm. so I I did this whole like getaway resort thing in Atlantic City for a night to like oh, I thought that really... that was intentional. I thought that that was the plan. I didn't know it was no. because okay. Yeah, she um because she, we took the same limo mm-hmm. as these kids. Oh no. Was, I think we we left from some girl's house in like Albertson. No, oh, not no. Albertson. No, we left from some girl's house in like East Williston and we were all on the same bus. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think it is really messed up. Like I that, ain't, that, I ain't going to go really down the up. history of my my last like first relationship, but I still think it was fairly mean to like be like sure you can ride with us in the bus, but you're not coming to the house afterwards. Like that's really fucked up. Yeah, um, Joe's younger brother had somewhat of a similar situation where he, I'm so proud of um, Joe's younger brother, who I told you, like, oh, you you know, first time you meet him, he's in a kiddie pool, and he's a child, and now he's, like, somebody I invite over to my house, and we play, like, Cards Against Humanity, and he's, like, drinking a beer, you know? Nice, yeah. Um, but he had the 
the guts to go up to a girl who is like pretty and cute and popular and say like, I want to go to prom with you. And I was so proud of him for having the, you know, the guts to do that. But he was not invited on the bus. She was, but he was not. And it was a whole thing. Um, That's awful. Why Kids are awful. Kids are awful. And that's the thing is like prom is not worth being that awful to each other. Yeah, just let him on the fucking bus. Yeah. It's fine. But you know what? Joe showed up in a suit and he drove him in his sports car. That's amazing. Yeah. So, like, I think that, like, you guys showing up in your cousin's minivan or, like, Joe's younger brother showing up in a Nissan 350Z should be totally acceptable. And also, I bet he looked fucking cool that he was the only kid showing up in a sports car. Joe's so. fucking awesome for doing that. Dressing up and taking him in this. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. A-plus brother that's stuff. That's so cool. He was doing A-plus brother stuff that day um, by showing up and taking his brother to prom in a sports car. <sighs> that's so... That is that... I That that make, that warms my heart. That's an amazing story. His personal driver. <sighs> it was good. You know, I, I felt... I had a moment of like, oh, I feel bad for this person because they, she wasn't invited on the bus. But then I'll throw shade back at her because you know what she did to me? This what? annoyed the hell out of me. I paid for this. It was a resort. It yeah. was a resort near Atlantic City where we got the whole package, massage treatments, everything, nice dinner, walked on the Atlantic City boardwalk, got to visit the sites. You Which know, to you me can't is gamble. so much for prom. What's up? To me, that's so much for prom. You know what she told me as soon as we got back to the hotel room that night at what? like midnight? She said, hey, can you drop me off at Penn Station at 10 a.m. I want to do this thing in a, for an Oneonta meetup. Oh, no, Todd. She told me that night. That night. And I, we got up at, I think, like 6.30. Oh, left, no. Tried to leave around. We left around like 7.30 because she had to get her coffee and whatnot. But I remember speeding. Like, I was just like... Like, why would you do that? Don't, just don't go. Oh, my God. Oneonta, and she's not like she was friends with any of the people she met up with that day. Well, that's what I didn't like a lot about those early college meetups. And that was part of, like, MySpace and Facebook was that, like, suddenly, and this could be good for some people, and it really worked for my sister. My sister was such a social butterfly when she got into Berkeley College of Music. She was like adding all these people on Facebook and I'm sure that that's what the Oneonta meetup kind of was. Was it like we're all just gonna find each other online and then meet up in the city? Um, No, I think she actually she took the train somewhere. I don't remember where. Okay, well Because I dropped her off at Penn Station to mm -hmm. go somewhere for two days that she spontaneously decided to do while we were on our day trip. I didn't know this! She literally decided while we were, this was her like after prom because she didn't get invited to the house, the house in Montauk. And I was like, that's this another is what thing I too. Did. Like, teenagers don't need to rent a house in Montauk for a weekend. If you're from East Williston, you have to, or else you're not wealthy. Oh, that's true. Fucking East Williston. It's fucking East Williston, man. But yeah, I think that um, that was a popular thing about like MySpace and Facebook too was like suddenly these new college freshmen could like reach out to each other and I think part of the college experience that you and I missed we were talking about this before we started recording 
was it seemed like a much bigger deal for these bands, these arts bands, to play mm -hmm. at colleges that weren't in the city. Yes. Because we had access to go see those bands at the PlayStation Theater, at Madison Square Garden, at Irving Plaza. Like, we were in New York, so we could go to those shows. Yeah, I was at Queens College. You were at FIT. Right. Um, I think your school did it more for that reason. I think Queens College is just a very boring campus. FIT, I um, have to say at this point, like now Queens looking back Girl. on it, is a very toxic environment. But Queens College, yeah. um, I will give them credit, and it is they do pull off some amazing things by having world, like pretty much world leaders and activists and different groups from all around the world come and speak. Like I remember having like sitting in on lectures and speeches from people from you know palestine people uh, from the israel and just like all these different like f i've watched and listened to feminists speak like it's an mm -hmm. amazing experience mm -hmm. but they also just like in terms of anything else like there was no like oh this band's coming to play at queen's college that never happened right <laughs> FIT did have some really good artists. Like, I got to hear Vito Acconci speak, who has um, passed away in recent years. And he was such a prolific member of, like, the performance artist movement in the 70s and 80s about, like, when do you push it? When does it stop being art? Who is it art for? But, um, and when Getchi Mutu, who is, like, I love her so much. She's amazing. But um, as far as, like, putting events together goes fit was just like meh you all live in the city half of you are going to be club rats half of you are going to go to emo concerts just go about your business yeah like i remember uh nassau community college that i don't i don't know if i'd be like excited to see this band but i remember one of our friends went to nassau and she's like do you want to go see alien ant farm they're playing it oh Nass my god nassau <laughs> community college would totally play alien ant farm. alien ant farm and you know what like, they probably put on a fun show they did i'm sure they put on a great show but like i know oneonta had like a bunch of musical acts go there they had uh, childish Syracuse, gambino so. i i always come back to childish gambino because i think that based on who went to go talk to them they're just like oh Childish Gambino was kind of a jerk. He was like kind of an asshole, and I'm like, he's probably not an asshole. Like, oh, uh, speaking of Ots concerts, yeah. I went to see Lifehouse in 2009. Lifehouse. <laughs> I saw Lifehouse because of that girlfriend, same girl, and she had us wait two hours in the rain after a concert to meet Lifehouse. It's so funny and... because me waiting on this person in the rain is partially why our friendship ended. And the funniest thing was is that when the lead singer came out, they went to their bus and they saw the fans and they saw me shivering. And I'm geeking out. She goes, we're so happy to meet you. And he looked at me and I said, and he's just like, were you waiting in the cold? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he gave me a hug. That's so sweet. He gave, The lead singer of Lifehouse gave me a hug because I think he saw that I was just the poor boyfriend shivering in the cold, waiting for him to make my girlfriend happy. That's so sweet. Um, that's the thing about, like, some of these bands is, like, because they're, they can't rely at this point on, like, the big, you know, Madison Square Garden concerts. I feel like now a lot of bands have to rely on the Madison Square Garden concert for that sort of income. 
there's such a detachment from those big concerts or there's such a detachment from greeting fans about your life on Twitter and Instagram, but there was such an intimacy to these little concerts in the aughts and hearing from the bands on MySpace. So like you're getting a hug from a member of uh, Lifehouse. When Alyssa and I went to go see Cobra Starship in Levittown, she had an asthma attack and one of the band members of Cobra Starship came out and was like, I have an inhaler. Can she use my inhaler? And the security guard. Oh, that's really awesome. It was so sweet. It was very sweet. And, you know, the security guard was saying like, no, 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 we can't do that. Your prescription could be different than hers. And that could lead to a worse reaction. Um, But he was like, he stayed with us the entire time. Like he stayed outside and wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we saw medical help okay and, it was very sweet, and I think that I don't know what's going to happen in the future with concerts, but I think before the pandemic, I think a lot of concerts were missing that. And yeah, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. just going to circle it back to OK Go real quick. Sure. Because <laughs> I've been listening to them again since we did their episode. I feel like they still wanted to do that. I feel like a lot of their concerts, and not all bands have just gone straight to the big stadium shows obviously smaller bands aren't going to have that option but i feel like ok go wanted to hang on to that experience of like we're in this concert hall together this is an intimate experience and we're going to put on a really good show for all of you yeah and it's it there is definitely a shift like i know like in the in the 2010s i still want the concerts but i think in terms of like the intimacy in those smaller venues, a lot of bands either got bigger mm-hmm. or stopped touring. And mm-hmm. it's, I think they're, and then we talk about festivals, like we both went to Bamboozle and, and Warp Tour. And I remember mm-hmm. in the Bamboozle, I got to see MGMT. You um, went to the week. last Bamboozle, I think. I went to the last Bamboozle. I went to see MGMT, um, a couple other people. I know Drake played the second day, but we weren't right. there for that. Um, Weezer was there, and that's when I really got to really dig Weezer. Like, that was fun. Um, but it seems... Because that was the last year, and it's like... I think to conclude this episode, maybe, mm-hmm. is we're, is what we're hitting on. is like, even though, like, yes, I still want the concerts in the 2010s, there was a pinnacle shift where the, the music scene changed significantly, and festivals shifted from being like this experience like this you know this cheap dirty experience but you get to see all these big bands and all these big names and then it became music festivals shifted from being about the bands and the and having fun with your friends to being an experience right i think that um like when i went to see bamboo when i went to bamboozle the last time and if you look up uh, details about Bamboozle 2007, you will not see Snoop Dogg on the lineup. And I think that that, no, 2008, I'm sorry. If you look up Bamboozle 2008, Snoop Dogg does not show up on the lineup. I saw Snoop Dogg. I grinded with my friends to Snoop Dogg. And this was a completely safe space because it was a bunch of girls and I wasn't grinding with some guy. But Snoop Dogg was there at the Bamboozle. And that was one of those things where it was this fun, interactive experience. And also Snoop Dogg was so completely left a field to the other bands that were playing there that day that it just seemed like, okay, we have to go see this. What a fun thing. 
but shows stop being this interactive experience with memories to a show. They have so, to become a big show. It becomes an ex like because how much did you pay to see Snoop Dogg? And it might have been a surprise. He might have just showed up. You no, paid what sixty dollars? He was he was definitely one of the big things. I think that they just like didn't make. Uh, I think okay. it was more a little bit for the lulls that Snoop Dogg was going to be in this show with mostly like alternative bands. But so we we went that year for both days. So it was about okay. like sixty dollars a ticket, and back then, oh no, that was the big spike. Like that was the big price. But they started adding more things that you could go to. So it was about like a hundred and ten dollars for both days, maybe a hundred. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because I remember after the, after Warp Tour and Bamboozle, mm -hmm. I had not gone to a music festival for. I have still haven't gone to a music festival because they, like, all the ones I would have gone to, like Ozfest shut down. Bamboozle's done. Warp Tour is now done. Warp Tour is done. Um, before the pandemic, I still would have loved to have gone to Lollapalooza. Okay. Because I feel like when I was in Chicago and they were getting ready for Lollapalooza, it felt like it was still holding on to what made Warp Tour and Bamboozle great. Gotcha. Yeah. And like, um, so this kind of this story kind of gives my perspective of how things shifted dramatically. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting is that these new festivals, they're not even new. They've been around just as long, mm -hmm. but they survived and they're way more expensive. And they're like, it's entirely more about the experience than it is the music. And I think it's, it caters, it doesn't cater to music scenes anymore. It caters to kids with a lot of expendable wealth willing to drop money for an experience. Totally. Like, our first EDC. What's going on back there? Oh, man. Are you guys as excited as I am about the obesity epidemic? I, I just I just like their whole style, like their whole genre is just great. They're kind of like very like innovative and they're new. You you want some ketamine? No, I'm okay. I remember in 2013, our friend Nick had asked me, he goes, hey, do you want to go to EDC? I had no idea what it was, but EDM was blowing up and I'm like, it's a music festival with a bunch of DJs. I'm like, sure, well, let me go. I'm thinking in my mind, like, okay, maybe 60 to 100 bucks. How much can it be? He's like, oh, it's three fifty, mm -hmm. and I'm like, what the fuck? I am not paying three fifty for this. And what year and was goes, this again? Like 2013. 2013, yeah. At like 2009, 2010, there starts to be a shift away from these odds little bands on MySpace to these bigger electronic venues that apparently cost an arm and a leg. And the EDC started in 1999, so it's not like it was new, but I think it perfectly caught the wave of this new generation of youth who just with ex expendable wealth was able to just... Because this is the thing that Nick said to me. He goes, oh, I thought you went to music festivals. How much were you looking to spend? I was like, 60 bucks. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. 60. And this is a kid, love and death, but he's never gone to like, he was not like a concert guy. So he never went to Warped Tour or anything like that. So for him, and I am assuming a lot of these kids with this kind of money, mm -hmm. $350 makes a lot of sense. Like I looked up, because like you were mentioning Soup Dog, you paid at most $110 to see all of your favorite bands and Snoop Dogg. Yes, and Snoop go on Dogg a Ferris wheel. They had a Ferris wheel like there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, the only way to go to a festival to see an act like that would probably be to go to Coachella. Is I think the fun thing about a festival is people get to be exactly who they are. You know, they, they show up and whether they're very bohemian or very preppy or want to feel a little vintage inspired, they go for it. Coachella is like particularly like kind of a naked festival. I mean, it's like... Do you know how much Coachella costs at minimum? How much does Coachella cost? We, we haven't actually touched on Coachella a little bit. We should touch on Coachella a little bit before we close. But go the ahead. very, the minimum you have to pay. The general admission for Coachella is $400. Jesus Christ. Coachella is like particularly like kind of a naked festival. I mean Does not include parking or anything like that. <laughs> okay. And you know what I was also thinking about that we didn't touch on earlier is like, um, like before we started recording was so we talked about how Warp Tour and Bamboozle suddenly start to die out and then becomes the evolution of EDC and Coachella, Coachella being the mainstay through the EDC and alt shifts. But also, we I totally forgot about this, Governor's yeah. Ball. Governor's Ball perfectly describes what you're talking about, where these people with tons of income who can just spend it whenever they need to. And also, like, getting to Roosevelt Island is not easy. It's very inconvenient. So if you're not even inconvenienced by the trip to Roosevelt Island, then you don't give no. a shit about the money. Coachella, like yeah. EDC, started in 1999 and just had this boom in the 2010s, like... I'm looking at their history and mm -hmm. really where it took off was 2009 after that just blew up and that's when all these like all these acts would play but again it's like even though like the same band cuz I think Muse played at a Coachella but that's the thing is when I remember Coachella before the big wave of like Blackpink and Lady Gaga playing there and Kanye West, you know, creating Tupac Shakur and yeah, a hologram. That was weird. Before that, it was weird. Before that, the big headliners were Arcade Fire and Gorillas. Yeah, that was their early days, 2000, I think. But like, what's yeah. interesting is like the same act can play at Coachella at that used to play at Bamboozle or Warp Tour. And it's not the same. Like, right. see, like, I, like, I have never been to Coachella, but I'm, a, I'm, Gonna take a very generalized opinion and say, if you're a kid who goes to Coachella, you're not gonna talk about how you spontaneously met the guitarist of, you know, the casualties after eating shitty, like, <laughs> shitty chicken fingers from a vendor. Like, that's, it's a whole Yes, I was gonna experience. say the it's chicken like, fingers, right? <laughs> you're paying $420 to say that you've spent $420, not so that you can actually enjoy the experience of like a music festival. That's my very cynical hot Or take. you would, yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Or what I hated was that like in the hype of Coachella, people were just showing up in wacky mm -hmm. outfits. And like, sure, you would show up in your cool concert clothes in the aughts, like maybe you'd wear your studded belt out a little bit more ostentatiously than you would yeah. at high school. But it was still like the wardrobe you'd get at yeah. Hot Topic. Once Coachella became big, it was like you had to wear these zany things like shiny metallic overalls and pigtails and big bug-eyed sunglasses and things like that. And then I feel like it became more about a fashion statement than the actual music. And then they start bringing in the big contenders like Beyonce and... 
you know, like all these big pop musicians, and then suddenly it's not no, the thing that it and was. like, like the <laughs> fuck you if you go to Coachella because then you're just enabling somebody who gives all of his um, income to anti LGBT. Oh organizations. yeah, hundred percent. And you're literally you're you're literally littering all over the place. Yeah, if you fuck go to Coachella. you. So you suck. Like, and I think the like back to what you're saying about the aesthetic and the design, like. I remember the -hmm. big gimmicky joke was I was the type of kid, I just wore the band tee and my jeans and maybe a studded belt and maybe some wrist guards, but nothing too much. But like, there was like the scene code etiquette, which, you know, in hindsight is goofy and innocent and there's nothing wrong with it. But I remember joking about it at the time, but like you, like you said, in comparison to like the elaborate outfits people put on for Coachella, because mm-hmm. do you remember what the scene rules were? The scene rule was if you were going to see a band, you don't wear that band's t-shirt. Yeah, that was it. And it's you like, wear a different band's time, t-shirt. What's up? You wear a different band's t-shirt. Exactly. Which at the time I was like, that's silly. But now it's like that's whatever. Who cares? Like yeah. that's 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 not this like four hundred dollar elaborate outfit to go see like blood on the dance floor. I think also what annoyed me, and I'm sorry for getting, like, triggered while we talked I'm about triggered. Coachella. triggered. It's okay. Because I, I think it drives me crazy that people who go to Coachella felt like they were on the precipice of fixing the world. They're the world's fixers. They know better. No other generation knows better than the Coachella goers. And they were literally providing income for somebody who would send money to anti-LGBT organizations and also the amount of trash that gets left around at these Coachella shows. Nobody thinks about how much they litter at these festivals and it's absolutely appalling. It's disgusting. I remember the whole anti-LGBT thing and I was like really disgusted by that because you're right. Nobody talks about it. There's this huge atmosphere of like all these woke influencers going to Coachella and it's like I went to Coachella this weekend and it was like a life changing experience and I was just so glad to be around people and we're here to save the turtles and use our metal straws. It's like you're funding a guy actively trying to destroy the queer community like actively trying and it's I I hold people and I can bet you that the same people who go to Coachella are the same people who are showing up at the pride parades yeah. to get oh, all dolled oh, yeah. up in rainbows. Oh yeah. No, no, no. They're yeah. the pe- same people who go to Coachella, go to the mermaid parade and show exactly. up for all the pride parades. And they're all like, look at us. We're gay. Love pride. It's like, no, you're not. We love um, gay people. I, yeah. I hold, I hold these people more accountable than people who eat at Chick-fil-A. Cause at least when Chick-fil-A, that shit came out, people like there was a movement. Like people were like, no, no. Like, this has to change. Like, there was more... I don't even know if it actually worked, but at least there was, like, some public backlash against Chick-fil-A. Right. right. There was no backlash against Coachella. <laughs> no. But it's like, oh, yeah, the guy who runs Coachella gives all the money that you give to him, $400 a ticket, to stop the advancement of the queer community. And people just like, but, like the experience though it's like fuck you but like i have sunglasses that have daisies around the rims i feel like if you are someone who goes to coachella and then also goes to the mermaid parade or any pride parade for that matter Mm -hmm. you have it is full privilege for anyone who identifies within the queer community to punch you in the face 
Totally. I remember um, one of the last years that I wanted to go to Mermaid Parade because I never had the chance to actually go. Somebody that I know who is LGBT was like, yeah, it's cool and all that everybody goes to Brooklyn and dresses up like mermaids, but like, is it really a pride thing anymore if it's just a bunch of straight women who want to be mermaids? And I think about that every single time I think of the mermaid parade. I mean, uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Wait, who, who said that? Who said that? Nobody we know. Nobody you and I uh, mutually okay. know. It was somebody okay. from Chicago. I would love to go. I want to go to Mermaid Parade again. It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. Right. And I like that I can go and not be made to feel guilty about going. Right. And I think <laughs> that um, as far as like the community spirit goes of like dressing up and doing something, it's such a fun experience, I'm sure. But I do agree that, like, the same people who go to Coachella and literally hand money to a person who wants to um, disempower the queer community are the same people who are going to the Mermaid Parade and are like, Look at me! I'm Ariel! Ah! Uh, ah! Uh, <laughs> I'm Ariel! I know Ariel. all of the words to part of your world. I love gay people. I love But the look gay. at me! <laughs> I love gay people, but I really want you to pay attention to how I look like a mermaid right now. Look at me. I love going to the gay bar because gay men are friendly and they don't treat me mean. I know you don't watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but this is actually an issue that they bring up in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Is um they some characters go to a gay bar and then there are all these straight women there, and then um the one character, White Josh is like, these bars aren't for you. They're not for you. They're for us. Go away. I'm trying to get, because that's the thing. You're, you're just, yeah. you're trying to socialize and meet people, you know, to flirt with. Right. But if everyone there is a straight white woman, it right. just kind of defeats the point. And it's like, oh God, I okay. Because I imagine if you're that gay friend in a group of white I don't want to just say exclusively white, but you know what I'm saying? Like if you're, yes. if you're a, the gay friend in a group of women, I'm pretty sure like every night of the week is that night. So why can't you just have a night where you go do your thing? Why do they have to now come and invade it? Right, exactly. And it's like, if you don't feel safe in a straight person club, then that is something you have to bring up with the straight community. That is not the gay community. Yeah, fault. we need to hold the straight, like, like I think it's happening now. Thank yes. God, like, yeah. the club scene in 2010 was much worse than it is, like, obviously there is no club scene because COVID, but, right. but, like, it's now, it's like, okay, not saying you shouldn't go to a gay bar, they're definitely a lot of fun, and I love going, but I think there's a difference where I can fit under the umbrella of the queer community, and I get more social flirtation out of it, mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, I don't want to assume my own a place in a well, group. I think that also, like, you've been to some places where they are working on making everybody feel safe, like House of Yes. Oh, House of Yes is incredible. And I actually knew the lighting engineer for House of Yes. Yeah. And it seemed like a very welcoming space. It's super, it's super rad. But it's like, yeah, don't make, and it's like, I get the idea that you want to feel safe. But then also you could just go to a pub like that attitude's right. not happening. I mean, you, you can't necessarily dance at a pub, 
but you could dance in your house. Right. You know? I don't know. And also, I feel like, I, I feel like early aughts are like, okay, like, so the end of Warped Tour, the end of Bamboozle, it's leading into this EDM phase. So EDC, Pacha, Webster Hall are becoming these huge places where people go to. And like, yes, that is, those are the places where people don't feel safe and things happen. And I think that we're done with that phase. But we got to leave the queer community alone. We got to let them live their lives. Let them live their lives and stop invading their spaces, guys. Especially if you're spending money at an anti L- anti LGBTQ fundraiser. That's what Coachella is. It's the it's the largest anti LGBTQ fundraiser that ever existed. I'm glad that we've ended the episode on this. Beautiful. I'm proud. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. We covered a we lot. Did it. We did. We 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 shed on Coachella. <laughs> I was, I'm always looking to shit on Coachella. We didn't plan on that. We never talked about it for the episode. We were, like, talking about things that we grew up with, and then somehow it turned into, like, fucking Coachella. Well, you know what it is? It's because we have to address the fact that, like, there is, a, like, the to justify this episode existing, there's a huge difference between concert, not only just festivals, but concert-going experiences mm-hmm. in the aughts versus the 2010s. And perhaps like, maybe it's huge. our generation's like loss of concerts and festivals that made so many of us like drive to the desert for Coachella. But like just because you American doesn't mean you American should. Jonathan Van Ness. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh God. Well, do you wanna what is do you wanna talk about your weekly obsession? I was gonna say, should we ask the question of like would not COVID included do you think a warp tour or like bamboozle like do you think that we can have the same love and success for small concert venues and festivals the way that we did in the aughts i think we're gonna have to i think we i I think think we should we should and i think we're gonna need it like one when this when things start to get back to some sense of normal Mm -hmm. people are going to want to go out they're gonna want to do these things and i think that a lot of these bands are going to need exposure. They're going to want to be out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be a return to form that any any way you can, people are going to want to do something awesome and party. And I think this is the prime opportunity to rebuild and build a strategy on how to get yourself out there and ready for when the world goes back to normal. I mean, some people have done it now, like drive-in events, drive-in concerts, drive-in comedy mm-hmm. specials. Like People want to do these things, and it's mm-hmm. like a matter of when the opportunity is right. And hopefully, hopefully, because that's the thing, like, to shit on Coachella again, it's a massive infrastructure of billions of dollars that's been built upon itself to make sure that this thing happens every year. Mm-hmm. It did not happen. Mm-hmm. So I think now is the time for someone to go, all right, because I know that Warp Tour was planning on coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are trying. And then, like we talked about in previous episodes, there is a bit of a scene revival. And I think that, right. you know, you have machine gun kelly now making pop punk music i think now's the time where we're going to get a shift where these like kids are going to want to make music again whether they be independent rappers or whether they make form pop punk bands or metal bands or something like that there's going to be an an, we have the audience for it people have been cramped up they want to get out and we miss these events and i think young kids are definitely going to want to experience it so hopefully We've destroyed the giant monster that is Coachella and it never comes back and we get a whole bunch of new... I would love, not even as big as Warped Tour got, but just like 
more traveling festivals. Like I would like to see yeah. a bill that even if it just had 10 bands on it, like maybe one or two bigger names and then the rest are like local acts. That mm -hmm. would be amazing. Like mm -hmm. I miss that. Like even as an adult, like imagine the thought of just hanging out at a festival, chilling out, having a, you know, a drink and listening to the music. That just sounds incredible to me. I think it will come back. It will never be exactly the same. But I think it's going to, I think this era of paying for the experience, I think was already starting to die with the failure of Fire Festival. The actual experience exceeds all expectations. And there's something that's hard to put in words. All these things that may seem big and impossible are not. It was billed as a lavish, one-of-a-kind music festival for an elite millennial crowd, with weekend ticket packages running from $1,500 to $12,000. But this morning, the organizers of the failed fire festival are feeling the heat. We had no electricity, there was no showers, there was no bathrooms, there was no, like, running water. The expectation, luxurious accommodations. The reality, more like a disaster relief campsite. <laughs> Festival vendors weren't in place, no stage had been rented, transportation had not been arranged. That's not fraud. I would call that uh, false advertising. <laughs> like, Fire Festival is the inevitable peak of just how absurd. And how corporatized that yeah. um, these festivals have become. It's like... Fire I don't know festival. if corporatize is a word, but I've no, decided I get what you're it saying. is. Yeah. Because you think about Fire Festival, I rewatched that documentary lately because I was like, how did this happen? I need to double check. Fire Festival only happened because enough people were willing to drop unrenal amounts of money to pretend like they were playing. Like, here's just thing there was music supposed to be playing at Fire Festival. But I've noticed that they never really talk about the music who is supposed to play at Fire Festival. And I realize it's because nobody was paying for that's the biggest difference between like Coachella Festival and Warp Tour. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You wouldn't go to Warp Tour if there wasn't at least one band you didn't want you you wanted to see. If there was no bands you wanted to see, you wouldn't go to Warp Tour. There is no verb version of corporate. Sorry, I'm stuck on this. But <laughs> don't worry, it's okay. It it did become this very like business minded thing eventually yeah which is sad so like so like if there were if you if you look at the warp tour lineup and you didn't see any bands you cared for you wouldn't go to warp tour right most people won't go to warp tour if they didn't have at least one band they can enjoy that's not the same for coachella and even like the failed fire festival like blink 182 was supposed to play but I guarantee you nobody who bought those tickets cared to see Blink-182. Yeah. They went because because some really hot model on Instagram put that orange slate up and it became about the experience. And I think the inevitable failure of Fire Festival and then the crumbling of other festivals because of the pandemic is kind of bring – like people who do it for the experience are done. They're old. We don't care about them anymore. They suck. They clearly don't give a fuck about anybody. Right. They're done. Right. Go get go get married and have your kids now. We don't want to deal with you. Go go do that. Rest in um, peace, Coachella. Think, you are dead. But I think yeah. but I think people like you and I who might still enjoy a g actual like band experience mm -hmm. and a lot of these younger kids who are loving these music acts and then like like I said Machine Gun Kelly's bringing back pop punk. Post Malone's been doing pop punk as well and like a little bit of country sing. 
like there's gonna be an audience for what festivals used to be and i think in the only way for like these venues because we got to think about how many venues are going to go under because of the pandemic well that's what i was thinking too is like i hope that um terminal five which has become my favorite venue as an adult is because i still get those intimate experiences at terminal five i've seen okay go there I've seen Airborne Toxic Event where Michael Jolette is like scaling the speakers and going on to the second layer of the stage. I've seen Tuvalu like flash the crowd at Terminal 5. So I, I hope places like that can still continue or new places will eventually yeah. emerge from the ashes of COVID. The only way that we can continue this is by having these, like, a festival, like, a traveling festival. Like, just make it, like, five bands, ten bands, and then you can grow from there. But I think it, it, the inevitability is that in order for this industry to keep going, mm-hmm. there's going to be a need. And I think there's certainly an audience for it. That's totally. my answer. I think you're right. And I think also just based on how um, we're going to move forward with how many people can be in a space, I think that no matter what, for even a health reason, bands are going to have to deal with smaller venues because we just won't have the option of having a bigger space. Yeah, You won't be able to fill that many people as we used to because it's going to be a health issue. Yeah. yeah. Definitely a wake-up call to the health crisis. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. was a really good so episode. I'm really proud of this, this one. Was- I'm, I love this one. This one is going to cover a lot. Yes, this is good. I really enjoy these episodes where we just talk about something we're nostalgic for. I think that we should uh, do a couple more. Yes, a couple more before we do another series. Yeah, I think so. It's also good reflection for us. Yes. Yes. Think about who we are and who we were and what choices we made. Yep, <laughs> that's a funny <laughs> point. So... so. Do you want to ask the question about what's your obsession? Yes. Yes. Courtney, what has been your obsession? I'm obsessed with the Golden Globe nominees. Yes, you texted me about this yesterday. I sent a lot of text messages because I just had a lot of feelings. And I need you to know that while I was texting you all of my opinions, I had five more for Joe at home. So Beautiful. <laughs> I'm amazed that Palm Springs is nominated for Best Comedy or Musical, but they're also definitely going to lose to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I'm also not sure how fair it is that Hamilton gets to be a nominee for 2021 when it was multiple showings from 2016. Uh-huh. But also, like, at the same time, I'm in the boat of give Hamilton all the awards. It deserves all the awards. So that's fine, too. I just think... This needs to set the picture for 2021 and what we should expect for award season. It's not Sonic the Hedgehog versus Tenet like you and I have talked about for so long on this podcast. But I really wanted Sonic to beat it out. In the same category as Hamilton, there is the Borat sequel. Ah, okay. And that's just where we're headed for 2021 award season. Um, As much as I hope young promising woman is taken as seriously as the joker and i know you texted me your response last night i'm just not sure if even if they give it all the nominees if it's going to win the way that joker did 
No, I, I, I said it deserves more recognition than the Joker. Totally. And I, I'm not here to I'm not here to hate on the Joker, no. but I definitely think the Joker is a narrative that's been told already a lot of times. I don't need another angry white male story. I think Promising Women tells a different story, a more complicated story, mm-hmm. and it's a very interesting story, and I really support it. And that's the thing. I think that, you know, I was thinking about it when I saw Promising Young Woman was nominated, and I was like, well, thank God that they've acknowledged that this is an important movie, and Carrie Mulligan's performance is really important. But then I thought about it, and I thought to myself, I'm more likely to see a male actor win for portraying a violent or angry protagonist than I am a female who is angry. And, I mean, she's not violent in a lot of ways, but I think it will still be portrayed to the people who decide who wins as, like, ah, angry woman. Yeah. And I think that her... She's not a mother figure. Right. She's not a crying mother in a car. Um, or on a telephone. Please, that's exactly. <laughs> so I think that Carrie Mulligan's performance in that movie is so it's it's so eerie because it has this like very precise execution to it, and I think that's what makes it so important. And I just don't think it's going to get the same attention in the way that like like I liked Joker. I was very um, very happy with the final product of that movie. I just feel like you could compare the two and see how Promising Young Woman handles the idea of getting revenge versus the Joker, and they're handled very differently, but I think because she's a female, I don't think it's going to get the same kind of recognition. I hope it gets some, but yeah. you're I think you're on, yeah. I liked the Joker when it first came out, and I enjoyed it, and I was like, this is a really well-shot movie, right. it's an interesting story, but then like- And it's beautifully, like the cinematography is beautiful. Yeah, the cinematography is the strongest point. Yeah. But I think I couldn't ignore the constant, like, the way I watched it, I kept thinking back, I'm like, a lot of this is very reminiscent right. of both Taxi Driver and um, King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but it's still a good movie. But then the more people talked about it, I was just like, it's not, because you know what it is? It's, it was love. I remember, I just, I think back to when Parasite won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And you had a whole bunch of angry guys who were like, what's more socially relevant than Joker? And I'm like, bitch, please. Parasite. Parasite's Parasite, more yeah. socially relevant. And I just got annoyed. And I'm like, you guys are so. And I just, that's, it made me like, now I have this like resent. That's and fair. It's like, it's like, I'm like, Promising Young Woman's a better movie. That's fair. Um, <laughs> those guys who defended Joker could probably, against the Bong Joon Ho film, are probably the guys who could date. The girls who defend Stephanie Myers, the host, against Bong Joon Ho's the host. Oh yeah, that'd be my new dating site. I'm gonna make a new dating site. <laughs> I'm gonna bring these weirdos together. Um, no, I, I just, I think that um, it would be a wonderful surprise if they honor Promising Young Woman with the same praise that they gave the Joker, and I, I hope it I does agree. well. Um. I agree. It's just a weird mashup of movies. I mean, Trent Reznor does a song. He's nominated for two songs, and he does a song for a David Fincher movie, which feels very on point and very on brand. But then he's also nominated for doing a song for the Pixar movie Soul. 
awesome. That's my that I love this. It's just it's just that kind of year. It's that kind of year. So that that's been my obsession. I'm really into it. Also, like I think because like this is something I would have talked to my dad about. So I just uh, need to get it out. <laughs> that's fair. I agree. I understand. So Tom, what uh, has been your yes. obsession? Witchy stuff. Witchy stuff. Witchy stuff. Tom Reading is now tarot a chaos cards. magician, like he said he would yep. be. Yeah, half half-ass chaos magician. Yes. I'm gonna. I'm here to define my intentions and and to care about things, but and avoid dogmatisms, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's 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 the extent. You're laying your agenda out on the table. 2021, baby. It's the year of forgiveness and witchy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. That's my thing. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this trip down memory lane and nostalgia and love of the music of the of the aughts and different concerts and festivals and prom and stories and how I don't have the best dating history, <laughs> but that is it to today, guys. <laughs> to be fair, you, you can share your bad dating history. I can't share it too much. I can share it with one person. I can't share it about another. <laughs> I totally understand. I totally understand. I think it's healthy and cathartic. But remember, yes. 2021, year of forgiveness. Yes. I'm going down the forgiveness yes. path. Forgive myself, forgive that person, and just move on with our lives. All right, so you can check us out on Spotify. Bam. Google. Bam. YouTube. Bam. Amazon. Wow. Jeff Bezos. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos. Fuck you, um, Bezos. Podbean. Bam. And where most podcasts are found, please feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, follow us on Instagram. That's where we post most of our updates, our memes, our hot takes. Mm-hmm. Polls. We do polls. Yep, polls are polls. Mm-hmm. Remember the 00S podcast on Instagram. And with that, guys, thank you so much and stay tuned. Bye-bye. Kung Fu Records presents... The official Vans Warped Tour 2003 DVD featuring 23 live performances from 23 bands like the Ataris, The Used, Sum 41, Behind the Scenes Action with Skating, BMX, Interviews, and more from the endless summer of punk rock bands.